The Capital Ideas Podcast now has a new monthly edition hosted by Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin. Investment professionals reveal their best mentors, how they find their next great idea, and a few funny stories. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. American Funds Distributors, Inc. What could you do if your data was working for you and not against you? With Bloomberg delivering enterprise data directly to your systems, you get easy access to the details you want, optimized for higher level analysis, and financial data experts committed to helping you maximize your every move. Our data is made for more, so you can show the world what you're made of. Visit Bloomberg.com slash enterprise data to learn more. Good morning. It's Monday, the 11th of September here in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, President Biden says China's economic challenges make a Taiwan invasion unlikely. The UK Prime Minister confronts the Chinese Premier over a parliamentary spying arrest. And we bring you a special report on the rise of the far right in Europe as former fringe parties gain electoral support in many parts of the region. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. President Joe Biden says China's economic headwinds could diminish any inclination by Beijing to invade Taiwan. Speaking on a visit to Vietnam after the G20 summit in India, the US leader was pressed on the impact of economic challenges facing Xi Jinping. I don't think this is going to cause China to invade Taiwan and affect the obstacle that have the same capacity that it had before. But as I said, we're not looking to hurt China. Sincerely, we're all better off if China does what? Asked why he hasn't met the Chinese president in almost a year, Biden added that Xi Jinping, quote, has his hands full right now. While Xi Jinping didn't attend the G20 in India, Prime Minister Narendra Modi joined Western leaders in agreeing a range of initiatives. The US signed an agreement with India, Middle Eastern countries and the European Union aimed at connecting them via a network of railways and sea routes. Meanwhile, Italian leader Giorgia Maloney privately signalled to Chinese Premier Li Qiang that Italy is planning to exit the Belt and Road investment pact that has become a test of her nation's relations with the US. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen says she's confident the United States will be able to contain inflation without any major damage to the jobs market. Yellen was speaking on the plane back from the G20 summit, which she attended with President Biden. The former Fed chief's optimism comes as recent data shows headline inflation dropping without any decline in payrolls or GDP. Now, the UK Prime Minister has confronted China's Premier at that G20 summit after allegations in Britain of spying. Rishi Sunak says that he raised serious concerns with Premier Li Qiang. What I said very specifically is that I raised a range of different concerns that we have in areas of disagreement, and in particular, my very strong concerns about any interference in our parliamentary democracy, which is obviously unacceptable. Rishi Sunak's tough line comes after a parliamentary researcher linked to a number of Conservative MPs has been detained on suspicion of espionage-related offences. Now, the suspect in his 20s was one of two men detained in March under the Official Secrets Act. 
The Bank of Japan Governor Kazuo Ueda has hinted that the central bank is considering ending its policy of negative interest rates. He told a Japanese newspaper it's possible the BOJ will have enough information by the end of this year to make a decision. The bank's governor adding that the negative interest rate is among the option ending the negative interest rate is among the options available if prices and wages keep rising on a sustainable path. Morocco's king has declared three days of national mourning as the most powerful earthquake to hit the kingdom in over a century killed more than 2,000 people. Authorities are racing to find remaining survivors after Friday's disaster, but rescue efforts are difficult due to the remote location of the epicentre. David Whitewick from UK Medic, which is sending aid workers, says the relief effort won't be easy. The mountainous area that's been affected... Difficulties of access, i.e. landslides, roads being cut, and widely dispersed populations which probably had poor infrastructure prior to the earthquake anyway. And that makes things much more complicated. The UK has sent 60 search and rescue specialists and four dogs to help find survivors. Meanwhile, Morocco's government has not officially accepted offers of international help made by the US, France, Turkey, Ukraine and others. UK's renters face years of major price rises and is interest rates and regulation bite. The forecast comes after the average cost of renting a single room in London increased to more than £1,000 a month. Last week, Ewan's Potts reports. Average rents could rise by a quarter over the next four years as landlords pass on extra costs from steeper mortgages and tougher regulation. According to the report by broker Hamptons International, wider house prices are set to fall by 5% over the same period when adjusted for inflation. London rents could grow even faster in the next two years with more landlords in the capital reliant on increasingly costly mortgages. In London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Radio. U.S. officials are pushing to help Ukraine as they warn that time is running out on its counter-offensive. America's top-ranking general, Mark Milley, says that there are probably 30 to 45 days of good fighting weather left before the winter. And Secretary of State Antony Blinken on ABC News refused to deny the administration was considering sending long-range missiles to the country. At any given time, we're looking, and part of the reason that I was in Ukraine again was to hear directly from President Zelensky. He'd just been to the front to the front lines, their perspective on how things were going and uh, what it is that they, they needed to, to be successful. Blinken also told media that he expected Elon Musk's Starlink internet system will be fully available to Ukraine. The tech billionaire has recently said that he refused a Ukrainian request to extend the system to cover Crimea. Now, this caught uh, our attention. It's a story that we have uh, been covering for you, of course. Uh, The president of the Spanish Football Federation, Luis Rubiales, has finally caved in and has quit. Remember the kiss that he gave Jennifer Hermosa on the lips after the team won the Women's World Cup? Enormous fury. Um, He actually faces criminal charges over that now in Spain, but it has taken three weeks. It does look like Rubiales has finally basically been isolated and has quit his job. I think finally is the key word in that sentence. How it could possibly have taken this long before he made any decisions is sort of almost beyond belief when you think about where the pressure came from. I mean, when FIFA themselves had suspended him for 90 days. You know, many people were pointing out the irony that if, if FIFA says that they're suspending you, things are really bad. Uh, yes, um, I understand that uh, that 
irony, FIFA oft, oft criticised for, for its decisions. Um, no, abs- absolutely. And Musso rejecting the explanation that Rubiales gave. I mean, it's only a few weeks ago that he gave that press conference and said like five times, I'm not resigning. But yeah, now that has happened. Yeah, look, I mean, there's the fact that this has sparked such a national debate in Spain and so many other parts of the world as well. Um, you know, it has brought this issue again to the forefront and perhaps there are, you know... Even parts though, of the conversation that are that will pr- prove to be lasting and interesting within Spain as well. Yes, but having said that, Spain does have extremely strict um, laws actually around consent in Spain. So that's also partly why there are criminal charges because Spain has has been very focused on having that legal process. Anyway, a story that we've been covering for you. Let's turn back now to the G20 meeting in India. Leaders managing to agree on a joint statement despite concerns that had built ahead of the gathering that with neither Xi Jinping nor Vladimir Putin attending. A joint declaration, though, was agreed in the end, even if the lack of direct mention or condemnation of Russia having started the war in Ukraine has drawn criticism from Kyiv. Joining us now to discuss is Bloomberg Opinion columnist Karishma Vaswani. Uh, Karishma, great to have you back with us this morning to discuss this. What did you take away then from the events that we had over the weekend at the G20? Well, Stephen, although I hate to admit it when I'm wrong, I'm the first to do that. And I don't know if you remember, but on Friday when we were having this discussion, I said there wouldn't be a communique. These countries wouldn't be able to get together and agree on anything. And they did. So, you know, point taken, I'll admit when I'm wrong. And and I certainly was. I was very surprised to see that communique. I think that's one of the major things that came out of the summit for me. Uh, But I think, you know, we've got a drill a little deeper into the language here. The Indians did manage to get everyone to sit down and actually get that joint statement out, but not everybody was happy with what came out of that statement. It had compromised language on Russia's invasion of Ukraine that got, you know, sort of consensus across the board and got the joint statement across the table, if you will, but lots of criticism from Kyiv. It didn't condemn the war the way the uh, statement did last year, and I was at that G20 in Bali where, again, Lots of haranguing about the actual wording, but they did manage to condemn uh, the uh, invasion in last year's statement. And words do matter because they signify intent. And this time around, the text removed that reference to the aggression by the Russian Federation against Ukraine, which cited a UN resolution, of course. So, yeah, India managed to get everyone to the table. And this is being seen as a huge diplomatic win for New Delhi. But I think actually what it's shown is a global club of countries that are more divided than ever before on the issue of Ukraine. Yes. So a win then in part for India. Do you think it was a win for the US? I notice also that Chinese state media basically buried coverage of the G20 and Li Qiang, the official that they sent. Yeah, I mean, that's not surprising, I think, because, you know, uh, this was meant to be uh, Xi Jinping uh, not showing up as a way to sort of detract from what was going on at the G20. If the world's second largest economy, uh, the leader has not turned up. But that didn't happen. The event went ahead and there was a lot of fanfare around the world, global headlines about how this is India's moment in the sun. Lots of, you know, beautiful pictures and uh, across newspapers and on 
TV screens as well. But what I really think is worth reflecting on is how the Chinese uh, state media has covered this event. And there were a couple of headlines that I thought it might be worth uh, sharing with you guys. The G20 summit concludes with basic unity amid rising divergences. That's from uh, the Global Times, effectively the mouthpiece of the Chinese Communist Party. My favorite, this is a, a brilliant one. Who is the spoiler of the G20 in Delhi, a reference to the US that had called Beijing out for not attending? So, you know, there's some acrimony there, I think it's fair to say, in a sense that this party went on without China and it seemed to do quite well. But at the same time, you know, China's got some major issues that it's dealing with at home, obviously the economy that's slowing down. But the other thing that I don't think we talk about enough, and it's this idea that the alternative, what the Chinese felt was the superior model of governance that they had been sort of trying to export around the world pre-COVID. That really came into question, didn't it, when COVID didn't go so well in China and the rest of the world moved on before China did. And I think dealing with all of that, as well as dealing with what is being seen as India's rise and the closer relationship with the US, that's very difficult right now for Beijing. What should we take away from the the, the commentary, or I suppose, or the, the language around Ukraine in that communique? Yeah, I think this is the trickiest uh, part of the entire G20 for me. And, and, you know, as I mentioned earlier, I think it does show that the global community is divided on the war in Ukraine. And I think particularly this is very much about real politic, right? You've seen that America needs India on its side to counter China's rise in this part of the world. It couldn't do that with getting India uh, to get consensus at the G20. Given India's relationship with Russia, they needed to water down some of that language. So there are all these compromises, right, Stephen, that are taking place here at a global political level. And I think what's interesting, you Mm. know, in the next few months, what we'll see is the sort of reframing of that war in Ukraine, particularly in in an election year in the U.S., yeah, absolutely. I think the phrase that, that stood out to me, most members strongly condemned the war, that phrase not repeated from the Bali statement. Karishma, thank you so much for being with us. Bloomberg opinion columnist Karishma Vaswani then, taking us through, well, the conclusions from that G20 gathering. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Carter Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Let's turn our attention to Europe next and a political trend that appears to be gaining traction. The popularity of the far right is rising in many countries as they benefit from voter resentment over the pandemic, the cost of living crisis and the economic toll of the war in Ukraine. Bloomberg's been looking at some of the growing support for this diverse group of parties. And we've got Andrea Dudek now joining us from Prague with more details on this story. Good morning to you, Andrea. When it comes to the far right, what does the political picture of Europe look like now? Good morning. What we're seeing now is a changing picture of Europe, uh, a continent where 
far-right parties now place among the top three most popular political groups in almost half of the EU. That means nearly half of the 27 member states. And in some countries, such as Austria or Belgium, the far-right could even win national elections as early as next year. Yeah, and there are two important um, upcoming elections also in Poland and Slovakia. How do you think that the far-right will influence those elections? These are two EU member states. Exactly. Poland is the biggest country in Europe's east, and what we're seeing based on national polls, that the far-right party called Confederation is rising and is at 15% support now. Um, The far-right has, though, ruled out becoming part of a ruling coalition government there. But still, just the fact that it's rising rising in popularity, it could mean that we may be looking at a rerun of elections in Poland um, if the party continues to slip or rise in polls and affect politics there. In Poland's southern neighbor, Slovakia, um, the far right could end up in the ruling coalition. And that would strengthen the main party's resolve to end military aid to Ukraine and also push back against some of EU's policies on green energy and immigration. Slovakia, just like Poland, are members of the European Union and so far have been very supportive of the unified approach of the EU in the war, Mm. supporting the war in Ukraine. Andrea, of course, it's in many cases, these parties play on local issues to win support and grow their support in their respective countries. But is there any key thread that we can draw among these countries to explain this trend? Well, their main support boost came through the pandemic when these parties offered a different um, approach to vaccines, to the overall um, reaction that the EU took. Also, the parties have very simple messages of showing that they just care about the people, their own citizens, and that also there's a very strong element of supporting um, the war in Ukraine when these parties say that national governments should first think of their own citizens and then helping others. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere else you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa devices. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Caroline Hepke. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow morning for all the news you need to start your day, right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.